Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And we've got the usual busy show ahead. England have announced their test squad for December's tour of Pakistan with Liam Livingston and Will Jacks getting their maiden call-ups. We'll discuss that in detail, as well as England uh, opening batter Keaton Jennings joining us live to reflect on his test recall for the first time in three and a half years. We'll also look ahead to the Super 12 stages of the T20 World Cup. We'll hear from captains Joss Butler, Aaron Finch, Kane Williamson and South Africa's Temba Bavuma. And we'll discuss the qualifiers uh, so far as uh, Namibia shocked Sri Lanka and Scotland turned over the West Indies. That's the last two champions, both beaten in their first games. Also today, we'll hear from Australian selector George Bailey as Pat Cummins uh, has the ODI captaincy added to his test captaincy. And we'll discuss the introduction of a women's IPL that and much more to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. Let's begin with the upset, uh, Harmy. I wasn't particularly surprised to see Namibia cause an upset. I was surprised at just how well they played. And and about the West Indies, they did not look up to it, did they? Um, I, I'm delighted to say that uh, Sri Lanka, I don't know whether it's a bounce back, <laughs> beating the, the UAE. But that's a really interesting group shaping up there because we could have three teams on four points. Yeah, we could. And the, the Namibia one, I think we've seen, I think we've seen the last global tournament that they're a good side. You know, the Morkel brothers are yeah, involved in that. And they've got, you know, they've got some good all round cricketers. And at the, at the end of the, the cricket season, I was in the dressing room with Michael Jones from Scotland. And I said, you've got the West Indies first. You've got a great chance. And if you get the big boy first up, if the mentality's not right, you've got a chance. And that's what Namibia and Scotland have done. Both beat the the sort of the, the test playing nation, the big test playing nation, champions of, of a T20 competition. Because if the attitude's not right, they think they shouldn't be here and they don't. 2020 is such a short game that it only takes 
you know, one or two to stand out and you've got a good chance of winning. And that's what happened in both games. So I wasn't surprised that Namibia beats Sri Lanka on the pitches that they're playing on. But I was surprised that the West Indies, with the quick bowlers they've got uh, and the power hitting they've got, you know, the likes of Myers and that at, at the top, I, I was really surprised that that Scotland beat um, beat the West Indies. But hey, it just shows you in this the shortest format of the game that it's easier to cause the upset in 2020 cricket as it is in 50 over or in test cricket. I'm going to give you a stat, actually, that's going to bear that out completely. It comes from Freddie Wilde. I didn't do the research myself, but... The West Indies defeat to Scotland was the 39th time out of 149 games that a non-test playing nation has been beaten by a test playing nation. That comes to an upset rate of just over 25%. Obviously, the figures are obscured because Zimbabwe lost a lot of T20s mm. in the last uh, in the last 10 years or so. And it's <laughs> not like England and Australia and India are getting beaten by the Associated Nations. But nonetheless, it's really interesting. The lower-ranked team has won 25% of games against the, the test-playing nations. I, I've just As opposed to the win rate in ODI cricket, as you're saying, for, for the underdog is 12%. There have been only 48 out of 393 of those games have resulted in an upset over a span of 47 years. So it is the format of the underdog. It is, and it just takes one player. And that's that when people say, oh, who's going to win the tournament? And I'll go, well... I can get you to the semi-final point of view. I can get you to England, Australia, and probably India with an either a Pakistan, New Zealand, or or whoever. But then it comes down to one player. Alex Hills goes and gets 140 balls in the first innings of a game. That probably doesn't get beat. So could Virat Kohli. So could Aaron Finch or whoever, David Warner. One of these big players. I think when you get the further down the line, you get to the, the knockout stage. It comes to the bowling attack. And that's where I think England are in play. I think the two spinners that England have got are, are a top draw. And I think you look at the Australian bowling attack, when you get to the latter stages, it's the, probably the bowlers that's going to win you the tournament, not the batters. The batters, if you don't quite get it quite right with a ball, with a ball, there's so many top, top batsmen in the world now who could get that 80, 90, 100 off a strike rate of 220, 240. And that's the difference between winning and losing the game. So when the Minnows play a test playing nation, if they're not quite on it, the test playing nation, it just takes one player from the the sort of the, the, the emerging nation side to have a day out and he wins a game for them. And we've had that in the, the first couple of games. Okay, we're going to talk about the England Test Squad and also the central contracts, um, which was released. So we've got a lot to get through, and that's all in this section. We'll move on from the T20 World Cup, come back to it a little bit later. So if England hadn't just had the Test Summer that they have had, we would have looked at this squad and all said it's bonkers. The burning question is, what does Barbara Azam think of facing Will Jacks or Liam Livingston as the second spinner? For England. So so it looks bonkers. It looks like a huge gamble. Lots and lots of interesting talking points. I was shocked that they left Matty Potts behind. Um, the one thing you want is a good, honest, fit workhorse of a Seymour who's going to bowl you 20 overs in a day on a flat pitch in Multan. Um, and they don't seem to have that <laughs> at all anywhere in the squad. I mean, there's so many interesting talking points. Jack Leach, the solitary spinner, he, I wouldn't say he's fragile, but I mean, he has Crohn's disease. Yeah, he is- makes him vulnerable. He is unfortunately he is fragile without having that, that having any sort of a go at Jack in any sort of shape or form. He, he's fragile because it's it, the health of his body, and it's not like Mark Wood or Geoffrey Archer or somebody who's got a, an injury record which is 
which is suspect. You've got you've got somebody who has got health issues and did not have a second spinner. I thought that was a bit of a bit of a risk. I agree with the Potts. I thought Matty Potts was a was probably a shoe in on that on them wickets. Somebody that can can run in quite physically fit and run in all day. A bit of a gamble on Ollie Robinson because I think he's been very very good since he's come back. Physically fit. He needs to be physically fit if he's going to go and play in this. My worry and the gamble on all this is 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 Ben Stokes. Well, how the how they utilize Ben Stokes because if you play two seamers, Jack Leach, a little bit of Joe Root, Liam Livingston, then you're putting a lot of pressure if you if you have to you lose a toss and bowl first on a flat one, and the captain has to bowl twenty five overs, and that is something that. I like the squad. I really do, Manners. I like the squad. And I think when I looked at it, I was like, ooh, that's a gamble. That is, and like you said, we've won six from seven. That is a gamble. And there's going to be people shouting at county cricket this and county cricket that for the likes of Jackson Livingston. But I think we've got to get away from that mentality now because our best players, our best players don't play, don't really play county cricket. I think you've picked Keaton Jennings off the back of a great county summer. And that was the right thing to do. I think it was the right thing to do. So I think Alex Lee's had had his 10 games. And I think if he had getting 100 or a you know, 100 and a couple of 50s or an 80s, he'd still be in the side. But I think the way it runs just says he hasn't he hasn't been up to it over the course of 10 test matches. Keaton Jennings has been knocking on the door for a while. Probably could have would have played in Sri Lanka if it hadn't have been COVID. I think the middle one is whether Brook players or whether Duckett players. Duckett's possibly a better player than just play of spin. But I think we've got to look beyond this. I think we've got to look beyond that and say, yes, he might be a better option in that middle order playing against spin. He sweeps well, he uses his feet well. But Harry Brooks' ceiling level as a cricketer now, for me, it's a little bit like during my time when we picked Ian Bell for the Ashes in 2005. He averaged 17 in the Ashes, but we knew he was going to be a player. We knew he was going to play a lot of test matches for England. So I think... Harry Brooks, the Ian Bell moment. You pick him, he gets a subcontinent in England, in England test shirt, um, and you hope that everybody around him can help him. And if he has a good series, great. If he doesn't have a very good series, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it from a selection point of view because I know for a fact we're going to have to back him because he's he's going to he's going to play 40, 50, and more times for England. So that for me would be my selection dilemma. But I'd go with Brook in that in that middle order. I've got a suspicion there's going to be a, a holding camp somewhere. I know there's a Lions tour going to Sri Lanka, I think. I would imagine that second wicketkeeper will be on that trip because there's no standout second wicketkeeper. Ollie Pope could cover if Ben Folks wakes up ill one morning and they can ship somebody in, possibly from Sri Lanka or the UAE. But I know there's a fast bowling camp because when I was at Durham, the end of the season, Bryden Cast was going on it and so was um, Matt Potts. So from that point of view, I don't think there's going to be players too far away from Pakistan who at a drop of a hat will be in the country within within 12 hours. So I think they've gone with a, a littler squad to sort of less complications on, on team selection. I can see Wood and Anderson playing first and third test match, Robinson and Overton playing the, th- the second test match and hope that Jack Leach, frontline spinner, can get me through three test matches back to back and he's... His health held, uh, holds up. I know the young leg spinner's going. I think young Ahmed from Leicester, Rian Ahmed from Leicester. I know he's going as a as a net bowler type to get some experience, which I think is fantastic. 
but there's concerns on the second frontline spinner not there. Okay, it's expected that the Lions, um, who are also gathering in the UAE, are going to play a three-day game against the Test squad in Abu Dhabi in late November. So I would imagine that, uh, as you say, I mean, uh, Dubai to Islamabad, Lahore, Karachi is a, you know, a couple of hours flight. So um, I guess they'll stay there and, and stay in condition. Let's move on to the England central contracts. The story which caught my attention was uh, David Milan's comments he wasn't uh, he he got an incremental contract maybe you can explain what that actually means him and Jason Roy were also downgraded to incremental contracts Milan said there's obviously a slightly strange system with the contracting you have players here who've been leading wicket takers for England that don't have a contract but they're decisions I don't make as players we'd like to be rewarded for our performances for England You'd guess that's what contracts are for, he said. And if you're ranked top five in the world for three years, brackets as I am, uh, you'd hope to get recognised with a white ball contract. But that's just how it works, he said. That sounds to me like a man who, given the right franchise deal, might actually say no to an England contract. Yeah, possibly. Um, We've been waiting on somebody, haven't we? So when David Milan says rewarded, I think what a contract is and what I've always believed the central contract is is you look 12 months ahead and you think who am, who am I going to use and utilize the most I think David Milan had a contract I think last year because he went Australia in the test match tour squad he was going to be batting number three for England um, he was going to play all three formats being looked after by the ECB in sort of period times where he has off now he's not in the test squad then that contract that that full contract then becomes probably an increment contract for the simple fact. And he will throw Joffre Archer at me because I'm, again, at why, why they've given Joffre Archer a contract. They're trying to predict that in the, over the course of the next 12 months, who are we going to need to control? Who are we going to use? And how best do we look after them? And I think a bowler will probably get a contract over a batsman if there's a 50-50 decision. There's not really a 50-50 decision for David Milan because I don't think he's going to play test cricket again. So that's why I think the ECB have decided that he won't get a full contract. He will just get an increment contract. The arguments between increment contracts and full contracts, I get this because people will say, well, you give a full contract to Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad and you only play 10, eight test matches a year. That's not a lot of cricket for a full contract where the one-day side and the T20 side are now playing three times, four times as much, if not more, than when I was playing. So what justifies and who gets priority on the contract system? So I can understand that argument, and I think that's something I would imagine will be addressed further down the line as years go on in less test crickets played and more white ball crickets played. But for David Milan, I fully understand why he hasn't got a full contract because he's not in a test team anymore, and he doesn't like the... He's not likely to be in the test team over the course of the 12 months. I don't think the contracts are for rewards. I think the contracts are for what is coming ahead, who is going to play, what you're going to play, and how much are we going to have to look after you to take control of you. And that's why we put you on a full contract or an increment. And finally, on this subject, Harry Brook, Matt Potts, Reese Topley have also been recognised with uh, incremental contracts. Um, Rory Burns, Don Best, Tom Curran and Chris Jordan. Uh, all lost their central contracts. Any surprises there? Not really. No, I think I think again you're looking to try and predict 
what's coming up, I think Rhys Topley, if he stays fit, is going to bowl a lot for England and one, one day cricket. Matt Potts, they're probably still hedging their bets and finding out whether Matt Potts is is here for the long term in Test match cricket and potentially falls his way into 50 over cricket because he made his debut in that. Harry Brook again, I thought I would I would have given him a, a central contract. He's the only one I would have given out of that a central contract because I'm throwing all my chips in for him to bat number five in Test match cricket over the course of the, of the winter because there's going to be no Johnny. So he will play five test matches. He play all the one day stuff, and you play. He's probably going to play in the World T Twenty as well. So he's the only one I probably would have promoted to the central contract point. The likes of Burns, Bess, Tom Curran, Chris Jordan. It just seems that, well that three of them, three out of the four apart from Jordan, are probably not going to feature for a, for a while in English cricket until you know, an injury or they get their forms back. And Chris Jordan. I think we've seen in the in the World T20 and the lead up to the World T20 that that injuries just come at the wrong time for Chris Jordan because there's other people just starting to stake a claim. I'm thinking Sam Curran has been very very good over the course of Pakistan and while we've been in Australia and David Willey as well. And I think by the looks of it, them two left arm options because left arm seems to be the way we want to go. They're probably going to get ahead of Chris Jordan, so I think that's probably why he's lost his. Great, Harmy. And uh, just before we end this section, um, just to confirm that an incremental contract is basically a top-up of your county contract, but it does give the ECB the power of control, as you were talking about. It means that they, if they don't want somebody playing next week or in the next round of championship games, they can say, no, he belongs to us, even though you're paying him. <laughs> you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Next up in part two, we'll be joined by England opening batter Keaton Jennings to discuss his recall to the test side for the first time in three and a half years. Jaya De Silva around the wicket to Keaton Jennings. He pulls it out, it's short, turns around the corner and it goes to that fielder who wasn't saving the single. Keaton Jennings gets the one he needs to backward square leg. Keaton Jennings has a second Test Match 100, removes the helmet, waves the bat at the dressing room and now shows it to all parts of the Gaul International Cricket Stadium. Keaton Jennings reaches three figures, walks down, has a hug with Joss Butler. He's made it for the second time in his career and England are in a great position and Keaton Jennings can enjoy this moment. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Right, as promised at the top of the show, we're delighted to welcome Keaton Jennings onto the show for the next uh, 10 minutes or so. Keaton, obviously, um, congratulations. Um, Fabulous stuff. Uh, They always talk about forcing your way back into the England team through sheer weight of runs. And um, <laughs> it's exactly what you did. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Neil. Thank you very much, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, look, it's it's been a really enjoyable summer. I think um, personally, it, it's gone really nicely. I think things have worked out quite nicely this year. But I think as a as a group at Langs, I think we've done really nicely to come. I know it's first loser in every comp, but second is is quite an achievement. So I think we kind of across the board, we've done really nice and performed um, probably over and above what what we could have. Gene, you were you were going to be selected for like the Schwanken trip before we, it got sort of called off through through COVID. And has it been a frustration that you you sort of you weren't straight back or straight in the side from that point of view? And what do you feel as though other than runs have you been working on to to sort of bring on the selectors door to say, right, you picked me. Unfortunately, that tour didn't go go to plan because obviously 
because of COVID. I've not gone away. This is what I've done. But what have you done to get yourself back in other than just runs? I think firstly, I probably didn't uh, warrant through my way to runs in the test arena, my place on the side. I think you you have to score runs in order to keep your place. I think firstly, I mean, that's just the currency we deal in. I think obviously there is a few technical things I've changed. I think when I look at the way I set up, the last time I played international cricket, as, a, as an example, my hands were up. I think that created tension in itself because I had no no real place to go to. And funny enough, I looked at all the left-handers that, that I enjoyed watching, guys like Maddie Hayden, Justin Langer, um, Mike Hussey, and to a degree, their bat started down. Um, and they created that sort of up and down movement with their hands. And I went kind of back to that and grooved that a little bit and uh, kind of just started to work, work through that and just create a little, a little bit more rhythm in my game. But yeah, look, I think just besides the cricket, but I think it's what two and a half, three years of world pandemic um, life going on. You get a little bit older and grayer, and um, I want to say wiser, but I'm not entirely sure about that. But I, I think you you just change as a person, really, and you you gain a little bit of perspective, and you, you realize you're not playing cricket just to to play international cricket, just to um, uh, achieve and perform. You actually play it because you you want to play it, and you want to create memories like you have over over your shoulder there, Harmy of teammates and, and winning things and that's that's kind of what I think in the last couple of years I got back to. And is that is that the, the biggest thing that you think is is helped because you've gone into a different environment now and what it looks like over the course of the last couple of years at Lancashire you have built an environment in Glen Chapel that you, you you all enjoy playing for each other and you all enjoy each other's success. Hmm. Is it as simple as that when you go into the England dressing room that if the environment's as good as what it is um, you'll get through them difficult patches and you'll win games. Yeah, look, I think in, in essence, it, it, that's probably, it could be as simple as it is. I think when, when you look at our length side, we've played for each other, played to win, um, and at times tried to create winning situations on some fairly good four-day pitches at Emirates Old Trafford. So moving into an environment where I suppose there's been a lot of narrative around how the England side's played this summer. But I think one thing it has done, it's been exciting. It's been exciting to watch. And guys like Stokes here have wanted to just make sure they win games of cricket. So Look, I'm buzzing to be involved um, and buzzing to see how um, how the lads are kind of bouncing off of each other. Because I think, uh, like you know, I mean, it's in, in an environment where guys are positive and guys are backing each other, some special things happen. So I'm buzzing to be involved. How do you feel about being labelled as a subcontinent specialist or a, a specialist against spin? It's okay in tennis, isn't it? You'd be called a clay court specialist mm. or a grass court specialist. But I think the best tennis players and the best cricketers are probably prefer to be known as being able to play on all surfaces. Yeah, look, I mean, I suppose the idea is you want to play on all surfaces all around the world and kind of be, be adaptable. And I suppose that's that's the end goal. To be honest, it's it's whether the narrative is true in and around the, the selection panel, that's, in, that's not up to me. I think that's hopefully I got my foot in the door now. I can hopefully perform touch wood and, and try and keep hold down a place for a period of time. I suppose the ironic thing for me is you open a batting and arguably one of the toughest um, environments to open the batting in, um, in in the UK. And I think in, in addition to that, I think when I look at the way I've played, I mean, you play at the Riverside, traditionally it hasn't spun. I didn't feel like I was ever an overly decent player of spin. I remember facing Jeetan Patel <laughs> for the first time. Uh, no, it would have been the second or third time years ago. And he bowled me a fairly poor ball back of the length and I kind of patted it back to him. I think at that point I had a kind of like cut and a dab sweep and that's kind of all I had. Um, I remember he had some choice words back at me and he was absolutely spot on at the time. So, look, it's, I think my game's adapted um, and hopefully I can continue to adapt and, and hopefully, to a degree, get rid of that narrative. What about the talk of the reduction in the number of championship games 
I mean, I think 14 seems to be suiting you just right. <laughs> yeah, I thought this might come up. I suppose the first year to qualify, as my opinion, would be I think 14 is right. And I think Stokes echoed that on, um, on, on social media um, a couple of months ago. I think it's, it's more just the way it's structured. I think when you look at, say, the Lang season, we had that, that block of seven championship games we played or the first week of the season was off um, or we had the bye week. Um, and then we played six on the bounce with the sixth game being against Essex, who had had their week off the week before. And, uh, I mean, we, we weren't at our best, but the guys were knackered. I mean, even the batters were knackered. And I think that's saying saying something. And I think a potential for me would be structuring in breaks, whether that's three championship rounds, a break week for everybody, and then you come again for three championship rounds or whatever it is. But I think registered break weeks could allow higher quality anyway. Um, I mean, in September, we played 12 days of cricket um, if we didn't play in the one-day final. So in comparison to April, May or June, which felt like you were just in fast-forward all the time, um, I think could be a quite relief if you just span it out a little bit longer. You're talking about breaks. You've just had a little one off the back of the season. Got Pakistan coming up around the corner. What are you going to do to get yourself in that? Is it a trip back home to a bit practice with Dad? Uh, it's not so. Dad's in Dad's Mauritius, um, so he's um, kind of retired out there um, to take life for some, mate. So no, but I'm I'm going to head back to South Africa for a couple of weeks. I haven't been back for four years now, so I go see nieces, nephews. Uh, my brother's getting married, so I go go out there and enjoy a little bit of family time, and then come back into a very intensive training camp um, ahead of the Pakistan tour, leaving on the 18th of November. So yeah, absolutely buzzing. But like I said, a little bit of downtime now, and then then come back strong. And I think that breaks off or, or, or that time off does create a, a nice feeling in, in your head and allow you to keep a quality high. Just going back to England, Brendan McCullum seems to be on a mission to eradicate the fear of failure uh, amongst the, certainly amongst the batters. I mean, the way that uh, he's backed Zach Crawley. Do you th- is that something that ha- did affect you in your, in your previous England um, appearances? Were you, did do you think you were maybe over, overly tentative and are you enjoying the prospect of, of McCullum's backing? I think it's probably two elements here. I think firstly, the way Stokesy, Baz have backed all the players really, I think is, is admirable. It's not naive, but I think that that almost outward naivety of just backing somebody gives a player an incredible amount of confidence. I know naive is the wrong word, but but you know what I mean by that? Just the outward focus on this is the guys, these are the guys that are going to do the job is is brilliant. And I think that can only leave the squad as a whole in a much better place. When I look at myself, I don't necessarily think it was a fear of failure. Um, I think it was probably the other end of the scale and such a desire and want to perform that I created my own tension. And I'm a perfectionist by just how I am. I love doing things right. So when things didn't go well for a range of reasons, I nailed myself and I kind of took it very personally. Um, and I created my own tension by, you know, I remember leaving Trent Bridge um, with Woody. We drove back up home. Um, and the next day I was in the indoor center working, trying to get better. Uh, we actually, you know, I should have chilled out, go uh, kind of have a meal out and just like, just, just chill and take the weight off yourself. And I think I was so keen to do well that I created the pressure on myself to a degree. So don't necessarily think it was the loss aversion. It was the, the kind of perfectionism just taking over. And going into Pakistan, you talk about being older, wiser, greer. Is the, are there the things that <laughs> you're going to have? in your armory of what the next best Keaton Jennings can have because there's a huge amount of different challenges in Pakistan. What are you expecting or what do you feel as though you're going to need, tools you're going to need 
to get through what is going to be three very, very difficult back-to-back test matches. Yeah, massively. I, I suppose off-field, I think the, the fact that you are hotel-bound, I think with um, the quantity of security, the way the tour will be structured anyway, I think will be a factor to play in as the tour drags on because days can feel like weeks um, in that sort of environment. Um, so the ability to kind of make sure you, you do keep relaxed, um, I think will be huge. Um, but from a playing point of view, I think uh, stats have shown that I think seem play a lot or a lot more of a, a part in the game than, than I suppose one would think. So yeah, look, I think it's, it's kind of having a, a more balanced, rounded game to, to yourself. But look, touch wood, I hope I'm up to the challenge. Hopefully the years outside of, of the international arena have, have kind of battled hard in me to a degree and I come in as a slightly different player, which will be good. Will it feel like your debut again? And did you ever think that it wouldn't come? The, the third coming? <laughs> to be honest, it, it does actually feel a little bit like a debut. I think it's felt that long. Um, there's been that much kind of water under the bridge since the last time that it does feel like a debut. I think um, I said to my girlfriend at the time, actually, that the, the call from Baz McCullum was the first time I've had an England call bar my debut that I haven't been overly nervous or felt really anxious around it. So I think that's in itself is quite a good sign. Uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm just really excited to be to have the opportunity to put an England shirt again. I think it's to be in and around that environment, um, have the opportunity to pull an England cap, and and just represent the country. I think is amazing. So it does feel like a debut. It's exciting, and uh, you, you just kind of you, you have all those. Um, I don't want to say excitements because it's, it's such a, a dull word, but you you do you kind of you, you the emails come through again, and you you get kind of contacted about your your travel arrangements and kind of all the the really exciting things that come with being an England player, which is awesome. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And finally, for me, they, they always say that um, the arrival of children um, adds a sense of perspective to a, <laughs> a sportsman's career. But, in, uh, um, but I just wondered whether your, your master's degree in business is something that you've um, achieved since your last England performance. Has that also provided a sense of perspective? <laughs> I you asked me if I had kids there, man. It's, um, <laughs> to say, no, absolutely not. I can't do my sleep now. But no, to be honest, I think you, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. And I think what the Masters has done for me, one, it's um, allowed me to see a time pressure outside of cricket, which I think I didn't understand. Um, but two, I mean, besides all the theory and business knowledge and all the rest of it, it's, I think it's given me an ability to be very critical of my own game without taking it personally. And I've been able to sit down, uh, look at video, look at the way I practice, the way I train, uh, what I do, and be fairly critical and harsh without feeling sort of personally attacked for it. I think the sensitivity that I felt around my own game and protective nature I felt around my own game previously, that's dropped away a bit. And I've been able to kind of not pick fault because I think you can always pick fault, but pick areas of improvement and strength and just being able to tweak them a little bit easier without trying to hold on to it so tight that you end up just constricting yourself. So whether that's the master's age, gray hairs, like you say, harm me, I'm not sure. But I think all in all, I think the last couple of years have definitely helped me do that. Well, very, very best of luck for what will undoubtedly be a challenging tour. And as you said, you'll be hotel bound. Um, but um, there's some enjoyment to be had in that um, as well but uh, very best of luck and congratulations on the recall enjoy it cheers man thank you bud harmy i must say he is immensely likable man very charming and um extremely um, helpful and um none of which means that he should qualify for a recall to the england <laughs> team i mean he's done it purely with his bat he has he's done it with where runs another one i've got a, a, a soft spot for keaton because i've seen his development came through durham's academy he 
lived about a mile and a half from the ground and he'd often chuck his backpack on and walk up the road. And if I was if I was on my way home, I'd drop him off. The please and thank you. The kid's been brought up very, very well. Obviously, you know he's you know he's old man. He's very, very well mannered. He's a very, very polite young man, but very driven. One thing I noticed about Keaton, very, very driven. Bit selfish, you could you could say, but I don't mind that. He wants to score runs. He knows how to score runs. Um, and he and he's physically, he, he looks after himself very, very well. So fingers crossed he gets off to a good start in Pakistan um, because he's a good player. And I think he technically he has changed. He said that. I think technically he has made a few changes, which is for the better for him coming back into international cricket. And that's all you ask. If you leave somebody out, can we pick? We can't just pick you on the way it runs. We've got to pick you on technical faults that you had before. Have you eradicated them? And I think he has. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll turn our focus to the T20, back to the T20 World Cup, as England head into the tournament with uh, yet another win. They've won all their warm up games, um, but their shocks are plenty in the qualifying stages, as we mentioned in part one. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast on the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we go back to the preliminary round, England have looked very, very good, haven't they? I mean, they, you know, they they beat Australia 2-0, probably would have been 3-0 in that mini-series um, had it not rained in the third game. 
They then played a fixture they really didn't want or need, actually. Yeah. They flew from Perth to Brisbane, (laughs) five hours in the air. Joss, of course, exercised his captain's prerogative and uh, rested himself yeah. that game against, <laughs> against Pakistan, the eighth time they've played them in the last couple of weeks. But they won it, and they won it emphatically. But, I mean, that's just a bonkers travel schedule, that. Because they've got to fly back to Perth. Yeah, I, I didn't understand how and why they'd fly. And when you've got, got to remember, for people that are listening, you fly to Perth, and this is what happens when the, for, for the first test first test match. I'm not excusing my ball in Brisbane, by the way. This is what happens when you fly around Australia. You fly into Perth because it's obviously the first destination you hit from the UK. And you've been on a plane for the best part of 16, 17 hours. And you think, I just want to get off. So they're getting off in Perth. You spend three weeks in Perth, normally for an Ashes squad. And then you head to Brisbane. The flight from Brisbane is just under five hours. And, you, and the, I think the time zone is three and a bit. I think it's three three or three and a half hour time change to get there. So England have done that while dropping off in Canberra to then go all the way back to play a game that they've just been to Pakistan and played them seven times. And I looked around the ground and it's a good job Brisbane, the Gabba has got the seats like it does because it always looks full. There was nobody in the ground. And I was like, what, what are you doing? Didn't even have DRS and TV sort of purposes because... Um, Shadow Khan asked for the the uh, he asked for a review of David Willey and umpire looked at him and gone you have, we haven't got we haven't got the technology here so it was just a, it was just a pointless event apart from two things Liam Livingston looked in ridiculous touch hitting balls out of the ground and Ben Stokes got some runs he got some runs so from that point of view it was a good thing to go you could have sent them off the two of them off themselves to be honest and they could have had a hit but it, it didn't make a great deal of sense but at the end of the day England are already. I think England are ready for that for that first game against Afghanistan on Saturday. And, hey, I wouldn't pa- put it past. I'll get you to the semi-final. England have got match, match winners in that top four or five. And we've mentioned David Milan and increment contracts and him being number in the top five ranking batsman in the world for the last three years. England might not play him. I've got a funny feeling England aren't going to play him. Wow. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Uh, OK, well, I'll come back to that in a minute then. Um so, Josh Butler says Australia are favourites for the World Cup. Interesting, the timing of that comment. This is what he said. T20 is, is one of those games, as you mentioned, can be unpredictable. I think history tells you that generally the host nations are slight favourites in, in big tournaments, I think. Um, especially, you know, lots of people have travelled and played in Australia and no conditions, but of course no one's going to know the conditions um, or be as accustomed to them as the Australian team. And, they're the reigning champions as well, so you, know, you have to pick them out probably as the favourites for the tournament. Um, but uh, you know, as I mentioned, T20 can be unpredictable. There's lots of very, very good teams there, very good players um, who will all have a say throughout this World Cup. That's Josh Butler saying that Australia are favourites uh, for the World Cup on the basis, I presume, that they're playing at home. Uh, it was interesting that he made that comment just to go <laughs> a little shortly after Australia had lost four for none to lose their warm-up game against India by... By uh, six runs, I think Australia needed seven, didn't they? They needed seven off the last over bowled by yeah. Mohammed Shami, um, and they, they lost. They lost four for none in that last mm. over to lose the game by six runs. And his Yorkers were unbelievable. His Yorkers were unbelievable. We've seen a stunning catch from Virat Kohli again. It just looked as though I didn't see the whole game. I just watched bits of it. But again, it just looked as though it was it was two teams going through emotions to to sort of get themselves right to 
we're in Australia, we might as well have a, have a game rather than a net. Interesting that two powerhouses went against each other, but that could be a semi-final, semi-final or final. And I think you throw England into the mix. Uh, I'm not ruling out Pakistan, but I don't think their batting's good enough in in Australian conditions for that. But when Josh says Australia are favourites for the for the tournament, I think they are as well because of their bowling attack. I think their bowling attack is a is a frightening bowling attack, especially in their own back garden. If it was in India, I think England's bowling attack would would suit them surfaces better because I think they've got they're less piercey, they've got more variation. But I think in Australia, ball bouncing. Yeah, you know, try and hit me hard off a length, bowling at 90 mile an hour, and the likes of Stark and and, and Cummins and and Co. I think that's that's as good as it comes. Okay, I've just been corrected. Actually, Josh Butler made that comment um, at that captains' gathering when all 16 captains got together. So <laughs> it wasn't actually anything to do with the timing of Australia's loss <laughs> to to India. I, I'm not going to bother about you getting your starting eleven, England starting eleven at the end of the show. Tell us what it is now, because Harry Brook and Sam Curran also made runs. So England against Afghanistan on Saturday. What's your starting eleven? England have gone predominantly over the course of the last 10 games with number seven being the batting all-rounder, uh, bowling all-rounder, sorry. So that's either Sam Curran or David Willey. So if that's the way they're going, one of the big guns batting is not going to play. So for me, I think they'll go Hills Butler. I think Stokes might bat three, Brook four. Livingston five, Ali six, Curran seven, and then you'd have a heads or tails between Wokes, Willie and Jordan at eight. And then the shoe in nine, 10, 11 is Rashid, Wood and Topley. But Topley rolled his ankle yesterday, which is another sort of why did we go over there and play? So if Topley doesn't play, then you're probably throwing, then you're probably playing Wood, uh, Willie and Jordan, so you'd have Willie at eight, Jordan at nine, or you look at Wokes for the opening bowling spot that Reese Topley was gonna gonna have. So from from that point of view, from if, if Topley doesn't play, you 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 probably still can keep the left arm option and play David Willie, and you play both Willie and Curran. So my team would be Hills one, Butler two, Stokes three, Brook four, Limston five, Ali six, Curran seven. We've got to rule Topley out because I think rolling ankle, all that flight back to Perth. I don't think he's going to play against Afghanistan. I don't think they'll they'll risk him. So, so a current seven, Willie eight, Jordan nine, Rashid ten, Mark Wood eleven. That would be my team for the first game, which leaves out Topley, who's injured, Wokes, who would be a spare opening bowler, David Milan, and Phil Salt as the four players that don't play. And I'm only saying that because. There's no way they're going to drop Ben Stokes. Harry Brooks has been the best player for England over the course of this last few games going into this tournament. And it just showed a little sign of the day that Milan not playing. I think that was I think that was a big sign that he probably won't start the competition. Well, um, Chris Wokes um, agrees with you. Um, he described uh, the competition for a place in the starting eleven as ridiculous. And obviously he's hoping to crack that, that eleven. This is what he said. I think we're in such a good place as a team. We could pretty much go with any 11 of the 15. Um, you know, batting order is pretty much set by the looks of things. You know, From a bowling attack point of view, I think we could go with a few different options, which is a great place to be. So I'm obviously hopeful that I'll get, get the nod. But um, you know, if I don't, I'm sure that the best 11 will be going out there and, and trying to do the best for England. Chris Wokes, I must say, really, really looked the part with the, the new ball um, against mm. Australia in that third game. Gosh, he... Just bowled some absolute beauties, and Australia two for two 
Um, you can say that the English way or the Australian way, it doesn't matter. Two for two is two, two for, for two. Two. two for two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just a, a reminder, there'll be a following on podcast, by the way, after every England game um, in the T20 World Cup, and you can find it wherever you found this podcast. So um, just rounding up Austra- Australia, India, Aaron Finch says, because, of course, Australia, you know, they've they've now lost three out of four with the other one rained off um, in their build-up to the tournament. But um, Aaron Finch, well, you wouldn't expect him to say, yeah, I'm really worried, mate. But <laughs> this is him being not worried. I think T20 cricket, as an opening batter, it, it comes with some risk and reward at times uh, when you're trying to be aggressive and get the team off to a quick start. Um, but it's not always going to go to plan. So I'm OK with that. I think... When you play T20 for long enough, you understand that you just ride the highs and lows a little bit. But I feel I feel really good. There's there's some technical changes and stuff that I've been trying to make over the last little bit. So yeah, I feel ready to go for the World Cup. Well, Aaron Finch might not be concerned about his recent form or the form of his team. Final question in this section: uh, Ben with the new ball. I mean, uh, Josh Butler said before the tournament that they wanted to find a new new more prominent role with more responsibility for ben in the t20 team um is that taking the new ball even if it's just for one over is that i like it i like it i like it because he's he's the thing about ben's bowl and his box office you know he can go he goes at six and over you're going to go for six and over anyway in t20 cricket one thing he does he bowls wicket taking bowls puts ball in a good area and he gets the ball to move he's got that courtney walsh way of going sort of in the ball there's more chance of it moving and bouncing. I think it's a good move from England that Ben takes the new ball. Ball defensively to try and ball Yorkers or slower balls or stuff like that. He can do that. But I also think he's he's an expensive option that takes wickets. And in the power player, I don't mind that in Australia because I think if you can get three wickets in the power player, then you've got a chance of winning the game. And I think Ben Stokes has got he's got all the attributes to go and round a park. Does that in test match cricket? But one thing he does in Test match cricket, he makes something happen. He gets wickets. When he gets wickets in a in a power player environment, I think that's a good move for England. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Next up in part four, we'll continue looking ahead to the start of uh, the the main draw, the T20 World Cup, and could a women's IPL begin next year? We'll discuss that next. Goodness me, Southie's got his man. Axon Fatel has gone caught behind by Tom Blundell. Southie in again. Bowled him! Oh, he's got him! You know, the guys that have played for New Zealand, it was a childhood dream to, to represent your country, and I guess to do it a uh, hundred times in this format's been been pretty special. Um, I guess just growing up as a, a kid in the country and, and loving sport, um, having the opportunity to, to represent New Zealand um, was always a dream, and to be able to fulfil that dream and um, and do it for a long period of time is pretty special. It's a chance to go out and, and represent our, our country and um, it's a real real honour. So I think that um, that's one thing that's sort of stayed true and, and something that's very, very special to me. And, um, and like I say, I've been very lucky to, to do it for, for a long period of time. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. That was New Zealand fast bowler. I'm not allowed to call him an all-rounder anymore. Tim Southey, reflecting on playing 100 T20s for his country. It's remarkable to think that uh, his new ball partner for so many years, Trent Bolts, only played 50. Southey has played 100. So let's talk about, um, well, not just those two, but New Zealand, actually, Harmy, because 
Well, why not? We haven't spoken much about New Zealand in the last uh, couple of weeks. They always find a way to get to the semi-finals, but things haven't been going their way just uh, recently. I think they too, like Australia, aren't quite sure of their their best eleven. Kane Williamson's been in prolonged slump of form in in T Twenty cricket, but he's Kane Williamson. So um, if, if the only person who's going to drop Kane Williamson is Kane Williamson, um, and he's the kind of person who would actually. I, I, mm. I'm, I'm I'm half expecting him to do that. You know, it's just like not pitch up and say, well, at the moment I'm not in the best eleven. So so they lost to Pakistan in the triangular final in New Zealand, um, having, having beaten Bangladesh. They then got bowled out for ninety eight by South Africa mm. in a warm-up game at the Allen Border Field in Brisbane. So they are not firing on any cylinders. No, they're not. It just seems as though the only teams that are, you know, a team that's really firing at the minute is England. Is that because player, the teams haven't been together for periods of time? England have had, obviously, Northern Hemisphere summer. England have been together all summer. Leave England straight after the summer, go to Pakistan for what everybody's thinking, why are they playing seven games? But seven games is a long time to be together some of the teams around the world haven't been together for that long. So trying to find out what your best team is, what your best formula is, what your game plan is on these surfaces, maybe it's that England have done it the right way. Um, and the likes of New Zealand, Australia, India, to a lesser extent, are trying to find out what what's best, you know, get the ducks in a row and which is the best best way to go. So don't rule New Zealand out. But if New Zealand gets to the semi-final, I think two of, two of the more favoured sides one of them goes out, and that would be England or Australia. So for, for me, one of the only reasons why New Zealand don't get to the semi-final is they're in the same group as England and Australia. And I think England and Australia are a better side than New Zealand, especially in, in, the, in Australian conditions. So never rule them out. You've got a fantastic bowling unit, Salvi. That's an amazing amount of cricket, an amazing amount of cricket player. And you talk about Anderson in, in Test Match Cricket. Salvi in, in T20 format of the game it's got to be right up there where you talk about Jimmy because you know he's one of his his best mate another fantastic bowler played a lot of T20 cricket in Trent Bolt has only played 50 T20 international so just shows you how much Tim's played they've got a good all-round side but they keep coming back to the, the issue well no matter how well New Zealand play if England and Australia fire I think England and Australia both get to the semi-final from this group well, talking of uh, Williamson, he, not for the first time in his career, was uh, talking his team down as underdogs. We come here and try and focus on uh, the cricket that we, we want to play and um, you know, address, address what's in front of us. And you know, We had a, a pretty memorable World Cup a few months back and played these guys in the final. It was a, a great game of cricket and, and these sorts of tournaments are you know, always pretty, pretty special to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, everybody has different tags and rankings that, that go up and down throughout the year, and I suppose they um, you know, end up with, with different names. But, yeah, you come here in tournament sport uh, on any day, anything can happen, especially looking across you know, all these teams with, with match winners throughout. So Black Caps captain Kane Williamson, um, a man who has um, a number of things in common with uh, Williamson is South Africa's captain, Temba Bavuma, uh, who... Um, he picked up a mild infection in India and um, wasn't yet over it. He couldn't play in that warm-up game against mm. uh, the Black Caps. Um, but but like Williamson, um, yeah, he he could also be a captain who finishes the tournament carrying drinks um, if uh, his current form continues. But um, 
you can't write them off. I mean, how many no. teams out of the 12 could you say they've got no chance of winning, frankly? I mean, you know, I, I think Afghanistan could win the tournament, you know, given an unusual aligning of the stars and planets. But they could. I mean, you can't you can't write off South Africa. They've got a very, very potent bowling attack in Australian conditions. They didn't look strong or potent at all in India. Um, and they've got a really powerful middle order. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Because we're, I can't see them winning it. But No, you can't, but you can understand why, because of the draw that they're in, they've got India in their half. But you'd feel as though they could we could fight for that second place in, in the groups of Africa. And when you look at the bone unit they've got, I actually think it's quite a good withdrawal from Pretorius to get Marco Janssen in it. Marco Janssen, left arm, uh, yeah, I think he'd be awkward in Australian conditions. And you've got the two... The two quick lads as well in Robada and Nokia. And you think, tell you what, there's three seam bowlers in Australia you wouldn't want to face. Especially after I mentioned the bowling unit probably are the, the what the best one will will be the ones that lift the trophy. My concern is still that that batting unit. Have they got enough explosiveness at the top other than Quentin? Then you think, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. That's the only thing that's for me that's holding them back is batting. Um bowling, I think they're up there with with the rest of the the rest of the the uh the top teams around the world. But can they get two hundred? And I think in this competition, teams that get close to two hundred, if not two hundred more, will be that that will be the the par score because these are good surfaces. Yeah, they're, they're decent sized grounds in square pockets, but the guys now hit sixes hundred meters. So that's not a real concern the size of the grounds, but I think 200 is a, a will be an in-game score a lot of times. I can't see South Africa getting 200 many, many times. Well, I can see it maybe once, uh, once or twice. Riley Rousseau, David Miller score 100. They just did score hundreds of uh, 45 and 48 balls. So uh, it's possible. But yeah, I just think you need a bit of consistency, don't you, over the course of seven games. Let's uh, move a- away from the T20 World Cup and um, let's talk David Warner. Well, first of all, let's hear from um, Australia's chief selector who confirmed that Pat Cummins has had the ODI captaincy added to his test captaincy when there had been much speculation that uh, Warner might have his his leadership ban overturned in order to take over from Aaron Finch, who stepped away from ODI cricket. And remember, of course, that <laughs> Warner is actually two weeks older than uh, than Aaron Finch. But this was this is what uh, George Bailey had to say. David's leadership within the group is is fantastic, um, titled or not, highly respected. You know, I think I think it's a credit to David that um, a number of people externally who are now saying it's a no-brainer that he should hold a leadership position were 18 months, two years ago, some of the strongest advocates for him having a life ban. So I think that's a credit to David that he has. Um, Worked on himself, but you know, from internally, um, just can't speak highly enough of what he what he brings to the group. As do a number of players, and I think you know, as we talk about with Pat, he he probably won't be there for every game, but we've got a number of guys who have strong leadership capabilities. It is an interesting story. Um, as, as whatever you think of uh, of David Warner and his history, and I can name literally dozens of of international players from around the world who have less than complimentary memories of, uh, of of playing against David Warner and some with him, actually. But I do think that uh, the ban was probably um, reactionary and it was and it was excessive. Your thoughts? If England can bring Alex Hales back, 
<laughs> why can't David Warner come back in Captain Australia? So, yeah, that's a tongue-in-cheek answer. But, uh, look, I think people serve bans. People get punished. Has this punishment gone on long enough now? Um, there's two things to this. I'm looking at it. I'm going, why has Pat Cummins took the ODI job? When you look at 50 over cricket being probably less and less, and a lot of players are now pulling out of, are going to pull out of ODI cricket. Ben Stokes was the first one that started that off. I'm very, very surprised that Pat Cummins has took the ODI job on because as you either play test match crickets or T20 cricket, franchise cricket around the world. And it seems that boards now will be looking at ODIs to give their big players a rest. And I wouldn't want Pat Cummins getting injured in an ODI game as captain when you've got big global T20 tournaments and test matches. Ash is coming up around the corner to take my premier fast bowler away from it. So why wouldn't it be a good thing for David Warner, who possibly not going to play much more test match cricket, can go and throw three years in, two, three years into being captain of the ODI and then possibly the T20 team off the back of it. So I think he served his ban. I really do. He's not probably anybody's favourite human being, but he's somebody who, yeah, he, he, play, he plays the game close to the line. Probably plays it closer to the line than Virat Kohli. And we all think that Virat Kohli is the best player that's ever played the game. David Warner made a mistake. He's paid for that mistake. Should he be allowed to come back into a leadership role? Probably for an Australian to answer and not an Englishman who thinks, why not? Why Why would you stop somebody from coming back to his captain? If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're if you going to pick him, why, why wouldn't he be captain? I know half a dozen former international cricketers who base their after-dinner speeches on the things that David Warner said to them on the yeah. field of play. <laughs> and, I, and I've just read an advanced copy of uh, former South African captain Faf Duplessis' book, which is fascinating and also contains some really interesting Warner material. Okay, final word, Harmi. I did say we'd mentioned the um, a, a women's IPL, and I, I'm assuming that you would be a hundred and whatever percent enthusiastically behind that. Absolutely. I think it'll be great. And, you know, hats off to Pakistan as well. That under night, that under 19 or the, the youth tournament that was on, that looked very, very good as well. So IPL are going to embrace the, the women's game by having a women's IPL. Fantastic for the women's game. I'd like a lot of boards to have a look at what Pakistan's done as well for, for under 19, both, both men and women, boys and girls. Um, the more high-profile cricket that we can get into our our younger players, I think it stands good stead and you know for their future development further down the line. And I think the next step in the women's game probably is the IPL because the hundred took the game to a different level, and I think an IPL would I think would just enhance the women's game that little bit further. Um, and again, I'll say, you know, I've said many times in the Cricket Collective. I think over the course of the last three years, the women's game has gone at such a scale that the men's game has gone nowhere near it. And that's probably the biggest compliment I can make to the women's game, the 100, and the other uh, standard of development that, that the game's going in. So IPL perfect. Now we end today's podcast by raising awareness about the MCC Foundation. It was another successful English summer for both uh, men and women's, the men and women's game, um, ending with England playing India in the third ODI at the home of cricket last month. The director of the MCC Foundation, Dr. Sarah Fain, sat down with Talk Sports Guy Swindles to discuss some of the work they're doing and, and how you can get involved. She began by explaining what the MCC Foundation is and the work that they do. So we work in the UK and across the world and our, our vision and mission is to transform lives through cricket. 
Um, and, and it's all about making cricket a game for all, making sure that everyone has access to cricket, breaking down the barriers, totally free coaching, you know, help with kit if they need it. Now, how, how, how do you go about finding the people who want to stay in cricket and, and possibly can't afford it? How, how do you go out there and, and, and do your good work? Well, it's actually very difficult to find those children that we're really trying to reach. So it's all about state-educated children. That's how it started, because they stopped playing cricket in the state education system. But we want it to be much more than that. We want to reach those communities where some really talented cricketers, some passionate cricketers, but they just either don't want to play in clubs, they can't reach clubs, it's inaccessible, they haven't got the money for the kit, they don't have the bus fare to get there. And that's where we really want to work. And we want to work with schools and we find them through schools, through participation programmes like Chance to Shine and Lord's Taverners, through street programmes and faith groups. And, and then we attract these children into our hub where we can really nurture their talent and help them to progress in the game. How does this all fit into the, as it's the MCC Foundation, how does it all fit in? So the, we're the charitable arm of MCC. Uh, we are separate to MCC, but we are their charitable arm. And and we, we have share a vision which, with them, which, you know, this is the home of cricket. But MCC is also a global club. So we're all about changing lives across the world, but also spreading cricket. So we work overseas to transform lives. But what we're seeing is it's also spreading cricket. So we're now doing cricket in countries where it was never played before. We've supported Afghanistan, which is now... Um, so sadly losing its citizens all over the world and so we're seeing cricket spring up all over the world in places it's never been played before now obviously at lords for the big international what were the particular aims you were looking for from coming to lords for that third one day international well what i really want to do is to i think we're doing amazing work but i feel that not enough people even our members not enough of them know about it so I want to stand from the rooftops and shout, look what we're doing. You know, we're changing lives through, through cricket. Everyone, well, not everyone, but I think people are aware of the fact that cricket is an amazing game for children's lives. It has a way of bringing confidence, helping with leadership, making friends, integrating communities. So it's a wonderful way to help young people, help their mental health, tackle issues like obesity. So we want to shout from the rooftops and say, help us to spread this amazing game, help us to help children through sport, particularly through cricket, both in this country and across the world, and to open up opportunities for all young people. Just on that, when you're coaching the children that you do find around the world and in, in, in Britain, do you also, as well as coach them how to play cricket, I hesitate to use the word life coach, but do you help them with the other problems that they might be experiencing? Yes, absolutely. We, we like to call it Cricket Plus. So in, it, we, we like to tailor it to the real needs of the individual communities. So more broadly in the UK, it's around mental health, nutrition, helping with confidence. But overseas, um, for instance, we're working in Nepal where there's a big issue with girls playing sport and there are issues around domestic violence. So we're concentrating a lot of messaging around the cricket we're doing work in schools with the boys and the girls, and we're showing how girls can play sport alongside boys. In East Africa, where we're working, the messages might be slightly different. In some areas, it's around gang violence, um, but it's all about helping these children with their lives as well as cricket. And obviously, with our refugee work, like the Syrian refugees we're supporting in Lebanon, it's really offering hope and opportunity to children who have almost nothing and have had come from really traumatic circumstances and helping them to integrate and recover from their trauma. So if you had one 
final message to get out there? What what would it be? Do you need funding? Do you need coaches? Who who are you who are you looking for? Ultimately, we need funding, and you can go to our website on the on the Lord's website and find the foundation there. It, it's without the funding, we can't do our work. But also, it's about spreading the message. You know, if people out there are saying they'd love to join a hub, that they're really struggling to continue with their cricket, that's what we're here for. So. Spread awareness about us, help us to transform lives, and if you can give us some money along the way, we'd be deeply grateful. That was the director of the MCC Foundation, Dr. Sarah Fain, speaking with Talksports Guy Swindles at Lords. That's all this week from me and Harmy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week to look back at more games from the T20 World Cup but a reminder that there will be a new following on podcast out every after every England game in Australia so look out for that but for now this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism and this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.